My name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Sintel. And you are Awaited. You are Awaited is a Mad Max Fury Road podcast where two grown men get together and talk about the film Mad Max Fury Road and they revel in its delightful goodness and have dramatic conversations and high fives constantly. And today we have a special guest we've been trying to get on here for a long time. We couldn't be more excited. Yuri, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, Quentin Canahan, you know him as... Uh, as for, for two two different names, we'll, we'll start there. Um, Corpus Colossus, but also Corpus Colossum, depending on how you look at it. How are you, Quentin? It's actually Corpus Colossus. Corpus yes. Colossus. Why? Excellent. That's uh, so so yeah, yeah, so Quentin is in. Uh, where, where are you? I, we know you're in Australia, Quentin. Are you in Sydney? No, I'm in a place called Adelaide. In Adelaide, which is central southern Australia. So, so we're excited to have you here today. Uh, you're our first actor. We've we've had uh, a designer. We had Matt Bow. We had uh, Greg Van Borsum on. We've uh, we've had uh, uh, Mark Sexton, um, but we have uh, had no actors yet. So we're really excited to have you here, Quentin. Well, thank you. Excellent. You're going to speak for all of the actors in the film. You may be our right. only actor we get on. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of pressure on you to, to explain how it was as an actor on the film. I want to also say, Quentin, uh, Yuri and I are not known for doing a lot of research um, on this podcast or putting time in. But we have watched a couple of your YouTube videos, and they're awesome. And just to tell our listeners, if you haven't seen Quentin's YouTube videos, he's pretty prolific online, and it's pretty great stuff. So check that out if you haven't seen it listeners yeah and and I, and I will say that you you put out a video when you were cast um, in Fury Road is that right well I'd known I'd been cast for a while okay and, and um, I would I put out the video the day that I was given clearance from Warner Brothers to tell everyone okay. so as soon as Warner Brothers gave me the okay I announced it to the world. Excellent. Will you tell us that process? We'd love to hear about how the casting process was and I mean that must have yeah. been very exciting. Because because you're already uh, you're already pretty well known in uh, in Australia, right? You're pretty you're kind of, you're kind of a celebrity. Uh, you've been a celebrity for many years, right? Did that did that play yeah. into the casting at all? Well, no. What happened What happened was the um, the casting director uh, put out a call to my agent saying that they were going to maybe do um, an updated version of Master Blaster oh. from um, Beyond Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. And they were wondering if I'd be willing to, to do an audition. Mm -hmm. And so I, they said they couldn't fly me to Sydney, but I had to show up in person to the cast. Um, oh no, we've lost you. Can you can you hear us? Quentin, come back to us. We love you. We miss you, uh, listeners. We have lost. We have we've lost Quentin. Not we are going to try. We are going to try to get him back. Um, please stand by, Quentin. I'm going to try. Uh, I'm going to try ringing you again. So, listeners, what's happening right here? Yeah. Uh, since normally in a normal podcast mm -hmm. they would cut this part out. Right. I <laughs> right. I can't expect that that will happen. That, that will happen. Um, for, uh, right. So Yuri. Uh, oh, here you go. Quentin's back. I was going to trash is. Yuri's computer. Quentin, Quentin, are you are you back with us? Quentin. Oh no. There's no input coming here. Oh, let's see. Oh, I see. It's just a recorder. 
Can, uh, oh, wait, there you are. Now we can hear you. Uh, so I was sent when Harry met Sally. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's, that's, that's exactly where we'll bring it back in. We won't, we won't, yeah. With, with, no, with no further introduction. Uh, okay, so uh, you went to Sydney to be in person for the audition. That's where we left off. Yeah, and so what they do is when you, when you audition, they either give you a monologue or you have a monologue or they send you what's called sides. Mm-hmm. And the sides can either be uh, the script from the movie or another movie or a play or whatever. And they sent me... Um, the sides from When Harry Met Sally. And the part that they sent me was where Harry professes his love to Sally at the end of the movie where he's saying, I love the crinkle in your nose. And, and, you know, I can't remember the script, but it was like this big dramatic scene that I was meant to learn. And I also had to have it in in a kind of New York accent as well. Wow. So I spent like weeks learning this and I fly up to Sydney and I deliver the read and the casting agent says, thank you very much, great. And then I hear nothing for 18 months. 18 months? Wow. 18 months. Oh my God. Absolutely nothing. So you just thought, you had written it off, I assume. Like, okay, I didn't get that, I'll get the next one. You had probably forgotten about it. And, w- and was there ever any question in your mind why they gave you uh, When Harry Met Sally for a Mad Max film? <laughs> Good question. Uh, they do that with secret scripts. Okay, okay. And the director does it so that they can see if you do something completely the opposite of what you're doing. Right. I don't know why, it's just one of those things. Sure. Mm. And so I'd forgotten all about it. They'd already gone to Namibia and filmed six months in Namibia, and I had been told that that was it. And um, they came back to Australia and did an edit of the film, and apparently Warner Brothers weren't happy, George wasn't happy, the film needed something extra to give it that boost of shock value and kaboom or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they decided to pour a whole heap more money into it so that they could do these extra scenes that they'd originally wanted to do. And so my agent got a call one day saying that George Miller wanted to speak to me. Hmm. And so a couple of days later, George rings me and we don't talk about the film at all. We talk about life, the universe, my kind of take on the world, his take on the world. And this conversation went for a good 45 minutes. Wow. And, of course, I'm chewing my hand off here. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Right? And I, at the end of the 45 minutes, I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, George, are you just, you know ringing me for a, a, a nice chat or are you here to offer me a job? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and and he said, oh, look, I, I, I'm I here to offer you a job, but I just wanted to know what type of person you were. 
um, because we've all seen you on TV as a kid, but, you know, we wanted to know what you really like. Yeah. Um, but I've already decided that I'm going to hire you and we'll see you on set in two weeks. Great. That's incredible. I have to say, Quentin, we have, uh, like Yuri said, we've interviewed a bunch of people from the film, from the creative sort of uh, backside of the film. And one thing that's come through again and again and again is that George seems to hire based on intuition, feel, sensibility, personality, all those things that you're describing from an actor's perspective. He seems to do from a design perspective, story perspective, music uh, and sound perspective also. Um, that's been the, the, the oh, Mark Mangini we also interviewed, um, the sound designer. Uh, it's this thing we keep hearing about George is that he seems to rely on building the right team. Um, and it's a, it's a testament to you that he would find that your personality would fit, fit that sort of merry band of pranksters that he put together out there. That's a really, it's, it's cool to hear that it happens from the actor side as well as the designer and production side. Yeah. And so before I got the, before I got to set, every day George would, George doesn't do phone calls very much. And he doesn't do emails very much. What he does is he actually records audio messages for you. <laughs> and he records these long audio messages and then emails, as, emails them as attachments. Um, so George, every day for the two weeks, would send me um, audio messages, like really long ones, like telling me, you know, the type of things that I should watch beforehand and and all about who the character of Corpus Colossus was and how Corpus related into the into the sort of Mad Max universe mm-hmm. and how I should develop the character and you know, how there are no small roles and um, how integral the kind of part, even though it was small, would be. And yeah. so every day I would get these long messages and he'd ask me to come back with something, some little bit about how I could add to the character or, mm. or you know, things like that. And so by the time we got set, he really had an idea of what he wanted. Um, it was then a case of just learning the lines and, and then getting on to set and delivering them. Um, so the first day that I got to set was sort of finishing the designs off for the seat that I had to sit in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like this seat, seat with a harness in it that I was kind of wired into that um, they could move around and, and put on different sets. Um, and then for the next two days... I would go to wherever George and the cast were shooting and we'd do makeup and hair tests um, because George loves to approve every aspect of the film. So while he was shooting, I'd go into the makeup room and and we'd try something and then I'd go back out and George would say yes or no and my hair got shorter and shorter and And eventually he just said look you know you are the you are the the watcher of the the 
place and the watcher of the war boys, um, you should uh, you should shave your head. But what he was insisted on was that I keep the beard. Uh-huh. Um, and the idea was that uh, Corpus was different in, in to everyone else. He's, um, he didn't go out in the sun. He was not really an outside person, so my skin had to look translucent and kind of sickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would kind of put this makeup on that would make me look a little bit like an albino, and um, and I was meant to be uh, um, uh, operated on quite a bit, so they put all these uh, prosthetic scars on my arms and my chest and things like that. So there was kind of like a real big backstory about my character that I would use. And then... um, Can I ask you a couple of questions, Quentin, about some of that? I'm really interested about what you're saying about these these voice messages and calls and back and forth, not calls, but voice messages um, from, from George. And I know the meticulousness with which they prepared the story over the course of, you know, countless years. Um, I know a lot of actors don't like to share this type of thing, but if there's if you're comfortable with it, if there's any backstory that you're particularly interested in with your character that you sort of were playing and that you had decided on, that's not necessarily in the film in a textual way, but maybe a subtextual way, we would love to hear any of that preparation that you did if you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah, well, George said to me that Corpus was the brains of the family. Mm-hmm. That... Lucas was very strong, but he wasn't that bright. He was more of the the, the go to muscle, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and there's a third brother in the in the history, although he doesn't make an appearance in the film, and that's Scrotus as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and Scrotus they decided not to put in the film, so. I wasn't really aware of him at all. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk to me about Scrotus at all. Mm-hmm. Um, all they talk, told me it was about my relationship with my father and with my brother um, and and uh, why the need for all these wives and why he had this desire to create um, a perfect child. And that was uh, basically what he wanted was to create a perfect child that could be raised in this new dystopian uh, palace of his that would eventually grow up and rule everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously we weren't meant to rule. Um, we were just uh, placeholders for whoever would come from the the um the girls yes um and so uh we all agreed with that you know it's interesting when no. we had we haven't really i have to acknowledge we haven't really dug in to that aspect of the film in a way we probably the, the, should have the family and the uh well the idea that the he, succession that, yeah exactly that morton joe is is aging and has become obsessed with a successor and, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but the idea that you guys are placeholders helping him maintain control and sort of hang on until an appropriate heir can be, uh, you know, cultivated 
is a really interesting idea. Yeah, was that, do, do you feel as, as a character thing that that was very frustrating for, for Corpus that, that he, you know, his brother as well, but you know, on a personal level was, is, is just a placeholder to his father? That's where I always loved the end of the script because, you know, I knew, sadly, in the first iteration of the script, I was meant to die at the end of the film. How? Do you remember how? Yeah, we filmed it. Oh, tell us everything about that and we'll go back to the main (laughs) story, but this is good. So, um, we get to the end of the film and um, the milking mothers, um, one of them is meant to be my wife. And the idea is that when, um, when uh, Immortan Joe's body is flung up on top of the car and I witness his, his body being thrown there, one of the milking mothers is meant to come up behind me and slit my throat. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we filmed this for an entire day. Um, we filmed this for an entire day of, um, but we but we had so many children around that we couldn't actually um, uh, graphically show it. Interesting. So all we did was we would do the action of her slicing my throat, and all the blood and gore would be added digitally later. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, you know, we had children that were, you know, between five and 10, right. um, on the, on the set. So we couldn't kind of traumatize them. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure Greg, I'm sure Greg Van Borsum's kid who was there could take it, but you're right for the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we did this for an entire day and George came out of kind of the media monitors and, 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 and said, all right. I don't know what's, it's not working. And he said, I can kill Rictus, I can kill Immortan Joe, I can kill everyone, but for some reason I just don't have the heart to kill Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> so your general likability prevented your character from dying. <laughs> yeah, he said, I don't think it, Australia will forgive me if I kill Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, there, there is a bit. There is a bit in the the comics that they 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 wrote to sort of fill out the world as as sort of a, a prologue to the film. Afterwards, there is yeah. a, a little bit that shows Corpus with one of the wives, and it doesn't show who the the wife is. Um, with with him sort of colluding with her, knowing that somebody's going to have to take control, and it's not going to be quite the utopia that that that, that they hoped. Um, were you let in on, on any of that or, or was that, uh, I mean, you, you survive at the end. I mean, nobody else really survives at the end. I am the sole survivor. Yes. Um, uh, look, I have been told what happens. Um, but it, unfortunately it's something that I can't divulge. Totally fair. So, no, we totally get um, that. Man. Because if there is going to be a, a sequel and, if there is going to be um, uh, a prequel, at the moment there are two scripts floating around. Mm-hmm. There's Furiosa, right, right, which is all about Furiosa's life, um, which is a film that I would be in heavily. Right, and then there's another script, which is the sequel, 
uh, to Mad Max, which is called Wasteland, mm-hmm. um, at this stage, and I am in it for a very short time. This is great, man. This is such a good gig. It's, it's just interesting. It's good. It's you. You know, as actors, a lot of times we don't have control over the parts that we're in. It's just the parts that get written that we can audition for. And to 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 have such a juicy, interesting backstory and cool role in a film that also happens to be very good. It's just awesome. Like it's such a a holy grail of a situation. I think so. You got to be stoked about that. Look, we knew it was great. Like, we knew we were all doing something great, but we didn't We didn't know what the special effects would look like. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what really what we were um, acting to. Like, you know, um, George would see... Because um, uh, Charlie's there on and, and, and uh, Tom Hardy had very specific schedules um i only met tom and i never met charlie's and i never um got to act with them so you know unfortunately charlie's was um a traffic cone for me (laughs) (laughs) right not quite as good maybe tom Tom was a tennis ball. So, you know, I was reacting to all these things because they'd already come and done their sides of the the shot and then I came in afterwards and I'd have to react uh, to that. But, you know, what they did do is they had um, all the footage that they'd shot with them and so they would shop, show me the sh- previous shot and then I would react to what I'd seen uh, previously. That's mm-hmm. helpful. Um, yeah. I, uh, I had a couple questions about just the makeup, and then we can get back into sort of shooting stories, which what we are uh, into hearing as many as you want to share. We have no <laughs> particular schedule. But um, you said that there was a lot of uh, – and obviously there's scars and, and, and lots of makeup. So two questions. One, how long were you in makeup every day, and how was that? And question two – are there any interesting backstory stories about the scars that you'd want to talk about or share? Um, well, I have a scar on my chest um, because I've had surgery as a child. And there was either a choice of enhancing it or covering it up. Mm-hmm. And George loved the idea of, um, of Corpus having open heart surgery. Um, and so he just said, make the scar bigger and more visible. And so, um, they did that and I forgot to put on my, um, on my, uh, headshot that I had tattoos. I've got a couple of tattoos on my body. Mm-hmm. And so George was quite upset. You know, he was like, nobody told me that you had tattoos and, um, he said, now we have to cover them up with scars. So, <laughs> That's amazing. So the reason there's so many scars and that character backstory came about because of your basically badass tattoos? Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> That's so um, good. And so then the idea was with the skin, um, he had this idea that I wouldn't be out in the sun that to make my skin look translucent. So what they would do in the makeup trailer was they would mixture um, like this base makeup with rice paper. 
Oh, wow. They would airbrush my whole body with this kind of mixture that would make my my skin look kind of sickly and translucent. Um, So it was, I looked as, or felt as though I was wearing this second skin or paint all over my body. Did they start that way, Quentin, or did they develop that technique over time? Like, did they try other stuff that didn't quite work as well? Yeah, they tried different shades of makeup. They tried to use, you know, white makeup that, um, you know, that their kids use, you know, which was more zinc-based. Um, and so eventually they, George said no to all of it. And so, um, the prosthetics guy, um, and, uh, um, the makeup chief, Leslie, um, she came up with this idea to kind of airbrush me with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it took about four hours a day. Four. Wow. So wait, when were your calls on set? How early? Uh, my call was between 5.30 and 6 a.m. Not terrible, but not definitely not great. <laughs> well, Morton Joe's uh, uh, Hughes call time would be 3 a.m. Jeez. Wow. And this was, and you were in Namibia for this, right? This was, uh, this was all... Oh, you were... Yeah, we did all the reshoots in, in Sydney, so... Okay. Now, now you talk about uh, about working with uh, uh, you know in some cases a tennis ball and a traffic cone, but I imagine that uh, that you got to work with uh, Nathan Jones who played uh, Rictus. Uh, he, yep. he was there with you. What was it like uh, working with him? Because because you guys are a great team, you know, in the movie. Because you're 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 the smart one. He's the dumb one. It's it's I common was goal. Awestruck because I'd seen Nathan in Troy and I'd seen mm-hmm. him in. WWE and um, and lots of stuff. But the idea that George had was that um, was that Nathan was kind of a bit jealous of me, mm-hmm. you know, because I got to stay with the wives and 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 um, I got to be around the gorgeous women all the time. Right. Um, so purposely. George kept me and Nathan as actors apart. Mm. And he said to me, oh, you know, he actually created tension between us. Um, Interesting. Deliberately. So what he said to me was that, um, that, you know, he was told that there'd be only one brother and, you know, he's a bit upset that you're taking a bit of his limelight. So just be a bit wary about, you know, your time with Nathan. That's which was Which was a complete lie. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny, Quinn? I'm not sure if you'd heard this, but we spoke with Matt Bow, who designed a bunch of the motorcycles and worked on Furios's arm, and he said that when they showed up, that Colin uh, took them to, to the designers to a junkyard and said, "You, these are all the parts you get to make your motorcycles and parts from. Um, that's it. No bringing in outside stuff. No bringing in outside props. And so he said that it created this like uh, rivalry between all the designers to fight for parts, and they're like they would steal hubcaps and steal bumpers and, and hide it under their desks, and people they come in the, in the morning and they'd be gone. And it sounds like there's this like psychological warfare going on behind the scenes of Mad Max. Well, yeah, because I was completely nervous because I was told, you know, Nathan doesn't want you around, and, 
and and um, and Nathan was told something similar, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when we get on set, we kind of didn't want to talk to each other. We we were kind of you know ten feet apart. But when um, we got together and George sort of sat us both down, he kind of let the the, the the kind of cat out of the bag. And he said, now you guys have to be brotherly, but you also have to be at odds with each other, you know, because everything's a competition. Mm-hmm. Everything's a competition for dad's love and dad's affection and dad's attention and, you know really kind of gave us a bit of backstory that way. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys go back and watch Thunderdome again or talk about Master Blaster at all? Was that part of the ongoing conversation or was that just a background element? No, we were told to forget everything we heard and seen <laughs> about Master Blaster. We were creating something completely new and different. Great. Yeah. Well, it, it is an exciting relationship, and I love you know. I, I wish we could see more in the film. Obviously, you you raise an interesting point though that that uh, uh, Corpus gets to stay with the we gets to stay with the wives. I mean, obviously they they don't uh, you know. They're, they're, I mean, what was there? I mean, did you feel that they had any sort of different relationship that we don't get to see in the film? What do you mean, guys? Um, I just mean, um, you know, were were there were there friendships? Did he treat them kindly at all, or was he just like, you know, all the other sort of uh, men in power here that he was he was just as as abusive or just as as mean? Or did did were, were, did he find a, a soft spot, or did did any of, were there any of them soft on him? Oh, all the women loved you, uh, <laughs> loved him, Morton Joe. You know, they got to stay in the rarefied air, right? You know, but they all wanted to kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all wanted to kill him. Yeah, I um, that. You know, because for me, what George said to me the day he said, look, we're coming back and you're not dying. Mm-hmm. But he said to me, mate, tomorrow, he said, you're going to be crying and you are going to be crying a lot. So just as an actor, I'm warning you now that for a good part of the day, you're going to be crying your eyes out. Go ahead. And I had to work out why. Because Mm -hmm. is it because I'm losing a father or because I'm suddenly worried about what my future is because Furiosa's, um, you know, rising up the the elevator. Um, So I had to work out in my head and I spent a lot of, uh, well, spent a good half hour with George kind of discussing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically said, look, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that, even though I know the answer. He said, but you have to decide why you're letting these people up because, you know, you can decide not to let them up. You're the guy up there, you know. You've got to decide why you're doing this. What's right. your motivation for doing this? Um, he said, all you're doing is you're crying because you're shocked that your dad's dead. Mm-hmm. You know? And right. so it was basically a bit Austin Powers-ish, you know. <laughs> George would sit in media, media Village 
with a microphone going, okay, Quentin, I need sobbing. I need sobbing, okay? Good sobs, good sobs. Now wail for me. Wow. Wail, now too much wailing. Bring it back a bit, bring it back. Just little sobs. Little sobs. Little sobs. Okay, let's give him a break. Wow. (laughs) That feels very stressful to hear about. (laughs) For eight hours. God, you must have been as drained as you've ever been. Well, for the first half, for the first half, he showed me um, the edit of Immortan Joe dying. Mm-hmm. And then he did something horrible to me. He goes, hey, your dad's dead. Because my, my father had passed away. Holy um, shit. And he goes, your dad's dead. Think of that's your dead dad. Wow. And I was just like, but George... That's my daddy, you know? Yeah. So for the first hour, I'm like wailing real tears here. Like I'm I'm sporting the waterworks, like full on. But by after like an hour, hour and a half of filming, you know, I'm dried up. Yeah. I'm dehydrated as hell. And so he just said, righto, let's bring in the eucalyptus. <laughs> yeah, we know that. Yeah, yeah I know that trick. <laughs> and so they would just blow this stuff in my eyes every take between makeup reapplications. And yeah, by the end of it, my eyes were stinging. I was dehydrated. I was exhausted. But they got the shots and they loved it. That's, I guess that's all that matters in the end. We don't care about your psychological well-being. <laughs> yeah, it's it's complete warfare on that set. I, I guess we suspected that, but it's nice to have confirmation that that's actually what was happening. Um, that's nuts. Is there, are there things that you shot that didn't make the cut that you were especially, besides the throat slitting, obviously, are there other things that you were interested in or happy with, or, or were you generally happy with what they used of yours? What was hard is... Um, on the set, we worked out a voice and a cadence for, for corpus. And then once we got into ADR, which is the dialogue re-recording, George completely changed his mind. And so I had to re-record all my dialogue with a completely kind of guttural sort of, hello, yeah. You know, that's how I kind of had to talk. And there wasn't really a lot of warning for it. So a lot of of surprises. So we create this voice on the go. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of like, hey, pa, you know about all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Was that was the original voice a New York accent? Because you said you had to audition with that. Is that was that the original voice? Very much. uh, just a, a not an American accent, not an Australian accent, but um, so if I said produce, it would have to be produced. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. your produce ain't going to ga- gas town instead of your produce ain't going to gas town. Right. Got you. So they're just little, little just cadence variations, and that's how my voice was on set. So it's a bit like this. Mm-hmm. But when we got to ADR, he really wanted me to 
bring it down, it was like, you know about all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was the reason for that? Did he talk you through some of the story or character reasons for those those changes? Yeah, just because, you know, I'd been uh, in, the, in the dust, in the dust for 30 years. Right. You know, and so a, a guy that was disabled and frail would have more of a gruff kind of, you know, breathing through an oxygen tube with all this dust would make the throat really kind of raspy and horrible. Yeah, if we... And so it really Sorry, lost character to us when he said, you know, just try and bring that down to a level. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything that George did was amazing and that it had a, had a reason for it. It wasn't just something that... Can I swear? Yes, absolutely. Oh, Please go right ahead. It wasn't just some bullshit uh, thing that he came off the top of his head. Everything had a purpose and a, and a, and a reason. And, and, and that was the thing that I loved about George was that he would come to you in between takes or whatever and, you know, there'd be two or three hundred people all around and he would make you feel as though you were the only person in the room you know he would really be talking with you about every take and about why the character is doing this and why it's important and would ask me to bring things to the table and try different things and try different takes and really treated me as an actor not just a guy you know playing a weird part Mm-hmm. I know that sounds really weird and wanky, but it was really important because it gave me a sense of, you know, that I was adding something to it. Like when I slapped uh, Rictus mm-hmm. across the face, that was something that I just did in rehearsal on the fly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just got caught up in the moment, you know, and I slapped. Uh, Nathan in the face and afterwards I went oh no (laughs) what have I done (laughs) oh boy here we go I'm three foot and I've just slapped this seven foot behemoth in the face I'm a fucking dead man Uh and George comes comes up and said to me why did you do that and I went I just thought that I'd be the kind of dominant one, you know, the smallest one would try to be the most outlandish and the most, and he goes, I love it, do it again. That's great. (laughs) And so we did like 10 takes of me just slapping Nathan in the face. Nathan was loving it. (laughs) Nathan was like, yeah, do it again, do it again. Do it harder this time, come on. And it was so much funny, you know, just... But that was the, the, what George was so good at. He was able at listening to ideas and then just running with them and not not just um, not just dictating. Yeah. We hear I'm, that a lot too. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, it, you know, if, if we've learned anything in, in our exploration of this film and talking to people who worked on it, it's that George... You're right. Everything has a reason. And yet he seemed... To, for everyone that he hired, for every part, whether it was in front of the camera or behind the camera, when he brought that person on, he trusted them 
to be good at their job and to bring something to the table. And so I know that uh, that, that Corpus has a lot of a lot of gear, both in, in his costume and his chair and his you know his his jewelry and um, his his setup, his crow's nest setup with with all the the telescopes and the binoculars. Um, I imagine a, a lot of that you know was was designed before you got there. But did you end up having any input once you got there and you know you were in the chair or you were in the costume or um, were, were there any ideas that you brought to that? The only thing that brought was the fact that everyone's option was fake except mine. <laughs> everyone's what? <laughs> Everyone's oxygen was baking. Oh. Oh, right. <laughs> uh-huh. That makes so sense. You're operating on a higher level. Yeah, everyone everyone else's oxygen was baked and didn't work, but mine didn't. We always had to be um uh we always had to be I always had to remind people that that was the case. Right. Yeah, it's so not a prop, guys. Yeah, you guys I need a refill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, you know. Um so that was that was uh um that was what I did. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this, Quentin, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. I I there there is a seems to be this remarkable amount of information that George is keeping in his head at any one time. And talking to the sound designers and costume designers and prop guys and, and you know, some of the behind the scenes people with stunts uh, everyone seems to feel very well attended to on set, like he was noticing what they were doing. I know with acting, sometimes you can do something that's a subtle nuance or subtle variation that's motivated by something quite large. Did you feel like George was focused uh, enough to catch the nuance that you were providing, or do you think he was overwhelmed by by all the other things he had to take care of during the, the, the filming process? Great directors, and I've been around a few good directors, and I'll say that George is one of them, and surprisingly, George Lucas is another. Mm-hmm. They know where everything is, where everyone is. They know everyone's name. You know, if a pin drops, they know about it. Wow. And this wow. is what George Miller did. He was making you feel as though you were the only one in the room, but at the same time, he would be dealing off-site with, you know, marketing questions and graphic design issues and costume issues and this. So there was like 300 going things going on this poor guy's head. But when he was with you and when he was directing you and when he was making decisions for you, you felt so respected and cared for Um and I only ever saw him raise his voice once in the whole, like, month that I was there. Wow. Go, go that on. that was when um, the telescope that we had was actually a vintage telescope. And um, and during one take, the, the telescope fell off its thing and landed on me. Oh, and, and kind of hurt my arm. Yeah. And George absolutely lost his shit at the stunts and safety people. You know, mm. he's like, don't you all know that Quentin is fragile? How many times did I have to tell you in a briefing, you know, this morning? 
what the hell is going on, you know? And everyone just clamored to fix the problem. I love that the one time he got that upset was because of your well-being or someone, one of his actors' well-being. That yeah. makes me happy. And that's how he that's fantastic. What what was it like? Because we haven't uh, addressed uh, working with Hugh, who played uh, Immortan Joe. We we've heard from from other people who worked on the film and uh, who have known him for a while that he's he's a bit of a character. What what, what did you find uh, working with him on uh, on the film? Actually, you know what? He was uh, such a hard costume, dealing with so much. I got to do that. That when I was with you on set, I would be work mode because we just need to make sure that he's in and out as quick as possible. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. His his shots look good because um, you know he really is the star of the, the bad guys. You know, it's not me, it's not Rickless. He's the he's front and center. So I felt so I'd get. I'd step up for him so that, you know, he can get out of that costume for at least 10 minutes to... To, to not to, suffocate. To just not be distressed because, you know, it was hard for him. Sure. You know, and, you know, we, we would all kind of motivate each other. Like, Nathan would come in and go, you know, boss is on set. Bring it up, bring it up a level. You know, we'd all try and motivate ourselves to try and to assist uh, Hugh on an acting level, mm-hmm. you know. And he couldn't really talk in that mask. So what he would do is if he, if he was happy, he'd put his hand on your shoulder or hand on your head and just give you a little squeeze or a nudge or a fist bump. You know, he was mm-hmm. very kind of happy that people were trying to do the best to look after him and, and um I think you know, when we, we when we when he was out of the makeup, you know, it was just Hugh and he would tell all these stories about playing toe cutter. Wow you know, Mad Max one. Yeah. And and how grateful he was to be working on this new film. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's because you're all a bunch of goddamn professionals. That, that's why. That's why this film came came off the way it did. Uh, I have a question, Quentin. I, I know we're getting closer to the to time here, but um, can you talk? I know you you are fairly well established and well known in Australia. Are there any demonstrable ways that you think your life has changed after filming this, or since the release? Are there any fan stories that are particularly interesting? Um. Yeah. What I found, because initially I didn't know how crazy things would get. Like, I knew the film would do well, but not this well. And, and, and so when people were starting to send me fan art, I was kind of a bit shocked. And then someone got my face tattooed on their leg. Wow. What? And I was just like, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, and so we had a Comic-Con here a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, Nathan Fillion from Firefly was here and I was working there as well and we're all doing autographs and panels 
And I kind of went over to Nathan and I said, hey, man, like, you had aces tattooed on on people's bodies, right? And he said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how do, how do you handle it? And he goes, dude, it's nuts. Just roll with it. That's <laughs> like, so okay, roll, roll with it. <laughs> That's really intense. Did they show you in person, or did they send you a picture of your face on someone's leg? Yeah, they sent me a photo of their their, their leg, and um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. That is really crazy. That there's like fame, and there's there's next level fame, and right, like. and there's Comic Con fame, which is the weirdest fame of all. Yeah, that's right. No, Comic Con fame is the best fame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really is because it's not like next level. Fame where you can't walk in a room, or you know, walk down the street. Comic Con fame is the best because people love the movies. They don't just love you as an actor, right? You know, it's not like a Kardashian or or an Angelina Jolie where people just are obsessed with you as a person. They're obsessed with the role and they're obsessed with the film, and that's why you know people in pop culture are so awesome yeah. because they just, they just give a damn about the movie and about the franchise and about what they're seeing on screen. And mm-hmm. that's why I love them all, you know. They get to express their admiration and respect for us as artists in these places and it's so, so much fun. And, you know, people like you who get me to do podcasts, it's so awesome and i'm so grateful that you allow me to come and talk about this stuff because you know we're so proud of that film and we're so proud of our work and we're so happy that that you guys have embraced it and you love it and it makes all the work we did and all the you know the hours of makeup that i went through and the kind of the shit that we all went through worth it because it means that you guys love the film and you want more and you know things like that you know and and it blows me away that you guys are are interviewing me like three years after i filmed the damn thing (laughs) (laughs) Uh well we're we're grateful it makes my and it makes the stories fresh again for me and it makes the memories again fresh and it's just, you know, I don't, I don't understand why people wouldn't do interviews like this because you get to talk about something that you're so proud of. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm just grateful that you guys have allowed me to, to do this because, you know, it's been planned for a while and you guys didn't give up on me. You just kept chasing me and saying, you know, let's do this. And it's been a great experience. I've had so much fun with you guys for this hour. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, We're grateful that you that you would be, that you even you agree to be on it and, and make the time. And, and I'm grateful. That I forget if it was uh, Felicity or Quinny over at, um, uh, not Oz Comic Con, but um, uh, Supernova, who had said, you guys got to get in touch with Quentin. He's, he's going to be, he, he'd, he'd be fantastic on your show. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy well, that. Up to it. You what? Sorry. 
I hope I've lived up to Oh, my God. No, this has been than... great. This is, it's, it's just, it, from an intellectual level, it's, it's so nice to have some of these, you know, theories and ideas kind of confirmed. But from an emotional level, it's so nice to talk to you and hear how exuberant you are about it and hear how interesting that experience was for you. And, you know, movies obviously change lives and you've changed a lot of people's lives who've watched the film. But it sounds like you also had a nice life-changing experience doing it, which, I mean, you can't hope for anything better than that. It's so nice to hear it. And we've been, you can't see us because we're on audio Skype, but we've been smiling this entire time. We're so (laughs) excited uh, by this interview today. It's been really great for us and we're we're so appreciative. I can't tell you that, that, you know, because... uh... I'll leave this bit a bit with you that Corpus is not dead, and if the Warner Brothers say so, Corpus will return. Well, Quentin, let me tell you this: it sounds like we're going to have you back on another podcast <laughs> in about a year, like. two, three years from now. So we're going to hold on well, to your contact you know, information. Plan, my friend. You know, uh, um, I'm the second last image in the whole movie. Yeah, it's true. And, and I'm the first name in the rolling credits, and I always, I always love boasting that about people. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, you don't see Tom Hardy's name being in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, uh, Quinn. Are there, is there anything you want to plug or projects that you're passionate about? Or, or... we know you also create content as well. You're a, a writer, and uh, you, you make your own stuff. Do you want to talk about any of that on the on the way out? Things that uh, other places people can look for you. Um, um, I've got a couple of great interviews coming up on my uh, YouTube channel. I've interviewed uh, Jason Muse. Oh, fantastic. Uh, from James Silent Bob and uh, Greg Grunberg mm-hmm. from Alias. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Star Wars and Star Trek. <laughs> Star Wars and Star Trek. So <laughs> they're going to be going on my YouTube channel, which is uh, YouTube forward slash Q Canahan, K-E-N-I-H-A-N. Uh, they're going to be going up really soon. And I will be doing a giveaway on my YouTube channel of an autographed DVD of Black and Chrome. Listeners, once again, do, do go check out his YouTube channel, as I said at the top, and he just said it's it's great. He he puts some really great content up there. And obviously, as you've heard here, as you've heard here, super engaging. Uh, and, uh, and absolutely go check it out. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, what, I'll, what I'd love to do is do a, um, a giveaway for your listeners. So oh, wow. what I'll do is I will send you guys an autographed copy of Black and Chrome as well to give away to your listeners. Incredible. Oh, that's so that's, nice of you, man. Uh, this, this, this just gets from amazing to amazinger, which is not even a word, <laughs> I know. Well, I know our well, fans yeah. are going to be super stoked about that. They've gotten uh, very uh, interactive and aggressive in the last month or so. So yeah, we're, we're going to think of a really clever giveaway, and then we'll give you shout-outs and do some links to your YouTube channel and our and our uh, our Twitter links and all that stuff for you. And we'll definitely let you know when this uh, goes up, so uh, so you can spread it around uh, if 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 indeed you end up enjoying it. Okay, as oh, much as we've had. I've had a great time, and thank you so much. Great, excellent. Well, my name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Sintel. And that's Quinn Canahan. Thank you for joining us. You Thanks, are. Guys. You bet. You are awaited.